As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. Here it is again. You're listening to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. I'm joined by Ben Sternke. Hello, Ben. Hey, Matt. How's it going? Yes, Matt Tebby is my name, and it's going all right. We are, we are joining you live from our offices. Yes, which are can, also rooms in our house. Rooms in our house. houses, respective houses. Yeah, I guess I'm doing. I'm doing pretty good. Just took my wife out for mm-hmm. a lunch date. Okay. Yeah, is that a normal normal thing? Uh, uh, you guys, you guys do that uh, on a regular basis? Once a week. We decided, I think, a while back that uh, we enjoyed lunch dates as much as we enjoyed like evening dates, and evening dates cost us way more with kids that need babysitters. Uh-huh. So we decided to have lunch together once a week. Very nice. Yep, it's great. Well done. It's good. It's really good. Um, so anyway, good conversation about holiday travel, Christmas presents. It's always it's always yeah. weird to give your parents like a Christmas list as a forty five year old. You're kind of like, yeah. I do. I kind of buy the stuff I need now for myself. <laughs> so we're trying. You know what I mean? It's like I don't really know yeah. what to. And I, if you know, if I right. need a new pair of like socks, I don't wait six weeks. Yeah. Just you know. Right. Yeah. You don't put it on the list, and, and know, maybe somebody will get it for me. Yeah. I could use a toothbrush, mom. You know. I guess yeah. I'll wait six weeks yeah. to brush my teeth. Like, that doesn't happen. So, yeah. anyway, all that to say, uh, we talked about Christmas lists, Christmas travel. Um, yeah, it was good. Yeah, all that stuff's coming up. It is. It's coming up. Yeah. You know what else is coming up, yep. Ben? What's that? <laughs> We're doing a webinar with uh, we an organization that I've, I've written for before. I think you've written for them, too, Miss CEO Alliance. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. we're doing uh, we're doing a webinar on where does this conversation about deconstruction need to go? It is yes. it is getting acrimonious, Ben. Yeah, people are uh, people are uh, yeah, they're getting a little uh, irritable, hot under the collar. They're all up in their feelings. We yep. we actually uh, and I say that as someone who loves my feelings. And by the way, this podcast <laughs> is about feelings. We'll it's get all to that about in a feelings. Um, feelings. Yeah. <laughs> but I I uh, we well, we have some opinions. We have thoughts, and we're going to share yeah. them. And we're going mm-hmm. to propose some ways through the morass. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just taking notes on this yesterday. You you haven't even seen these notes yet, Ben. Wow, it's the Benjamin. Very, we're, 
which which tells you that uh, this com- upcoming webinar we haven't uh, we don't know exactly what we're going to say yet, uh, but I we do. do have the general do. the general idea. So yeah, but so it, anyway, yeah. What, do we have a time and a date and a link for that? Yeah, well, uh, the link should be in the show notes, um, and uh, Missio Alliance is hosting it. Uh, the time and the date are December 9th at one p.m. Eastern time. So Thursday, December 9th, one p.m. Eastern. Yeah, we'll do a we'll do a little webinar on deconstruction. Like, what is mm. deconstruction? What is it actually? That that's actually a big part of the debate. Is what are we actually yeah. talking about? And then, uh, you know, is it good or bad? Or you know, how do we how do we parse it? Um, and mm-hmm. what do we do about it? Uh, because it's um, yeah, it's sort of in the it's in the discourse quite a bit lately, and um, I, I think it actually does refer to something that's really important uh, for us to pay attention to. And mm-hmm. um, I think there's uh, we have a lot of people who join our cohorts who are in some what what they would say is some sort of phase or process of deconstruction, and that's a lot of the reason that they're um, attracted to our Gravity Leadership Academy cohorts. Yep. Um, because it's a way of kind of reconstructing a faith that's that's worth living after you deconstruct the. Anyway, I'm getting into the yeah. webinar. I shouldn't. I just, yeah, that's yeah. a little teaser. You Pipe know? down. It's, imp- it's important. Anyway, I, I won't. I won't get into it. Pipe down. Um, so yes, uh, link for that in the show notes. Um, you can also just look on uh, probably be um, on Missio Alliance's website as well. We're looking forward yeah. to that. Hope, yeah, we are. Hope to see many of you there. Something else uh, that we're also in, uh, planning in the works for, I've had multiple conversations even today. We are launching in a few weeks a membership, uh, Gravity Commons is what we're calling it. It's a membership mm-hmm. platform on our website that will bring together people who have gone through Gravity Leadership Academy, listeners to the podcast, other people who join up through Gravity Links and read stuff yep. on our website, people who are interested in general in the project that Gravity is about, which is reorienting the center of our discipleship and leadership and love, and that yep. love being shaped by Jesus. And so mm-hmm. um, one of the offerings on this commons, which we're going to be sort of talking about this in the, in the next few weeks, but one of the things we're going to do is um, something that I think I first encountered, I think I first encountered this format through the Inverse podcast, which has uh, Jared McKenna and Drew Hart. They do great work. Um, but they do they do a live podcast where um, they interview a, a person or people, and while they're interviewing, video interviewing, uh, members of their community are there as well and are um, sort of commenting in chat. And then so they record a... Uh, the beginning of the podcast, and then um, I think that's what they release on sort of podcast feeds for free. But then for their membership community, which I'm a, I'm a part of that, I support support them on Patreon. Check them out. Um, they've got a, like a Q and A live with their members, mm-hmm. and so we're going to play around with that because I I think it actually does some good work curating, not just listening in on conversation, but being a part mm-hmm. of the conversation. Yeah. And it's something that I think uh, our uh, the people who are part of our community have asked for in conversations and emails and i think this is gonna be amazing i am really looking forward (laughs) to it as well yes um i'm looking forward to it as well because i I think i I was just uh saying this the other day that i think one of the one of the things that is um unique about what we do is that as we convene these conversations uh, with members of our community and people mm. on our podcast, that kind of thing, there's a lot of unexpected wisdom that comes out um, because mm. we sort of like, yep. we don't go into it with every minute of the podcast planned out. We don't go into it with every minute of content figured out ahead of time. There's a lot of yep. room for discovering things as we go. Um, this podcast, for example, is an exam- is an example of that. I remember having this conversation with Becky Castle Miller and we were discovering some some new things about um, like trauma and mm-hmm. feelings that come up when we feel triggered, and you know, like a, a new way of um, holding compassion for ourselves. Yeah. Uh, as we uh, as we as we think about that, and I remember it was like a genuinely new thought for me about this stuff that was provoked because of this conversation, and so I'm I'm looking forward to this as well because I think involving more people in this kind of uh, generative dialogue that we have uh, can only make it better for everybody. And so um, yeah. I'm looking forward to it as well. So there'll be like one, once a month on this, um, on the Gravity Commons, there'll be one of our podcasts will be recorded 
live and you, where you can uh, kind of connect to it and um, chat with other folks in the commons or mm-hmm. our guests and um, also uh, stick around for that Q&A. And uh, there'll be a way to kind of call in. It's almost like a live radio call-in show. I'm kind yeah. of looking forward to playing around with it. I right. think it's going to be a lot of fun. Right. So. Yeah, it's going to be great. We got some great guests lined up, which we'll announce later. But they're guests curating, like I think, much-needed conversations. And just to tie this back into the deconstruction conversation, one of the reasons that people tell me that they mm. get frustrated and walk away from their church, which isn't necessarily deconstruction, by the way. But right. one of the reasons is because they are unable to have the conversations that feel necessary, vital, important for them. And they're told they're told it's faithless or unhelpful or even uh, wicked, you know. Right. You're gonna yeah. you're gonna slip on that slippery slope if you keep talking about slope. marriage, Christian <laughs> marriage. Don't question, <laughs> don't question the mm. gatekeepers of Christian marriage and what it's supposed to look like. But that's that's yeah. one of these live podcasts. We're gonna have some people on who yeah. uh, have a modicum of expertise on what mm-hmm. some of our best. Folk wisdom, folks yeah. wisdom about Christian marriage is missing. <laughs> yes. We we just had this discussion actually last night in a discipleship group that I lead. Um, oh, we're yeah? talking about the slippery slope. Somebody made a joke about mm. the slippery, not not about Christian marriage, but about the slippery slope. Um, and uh, and somebody brought up like, why, why is the slippery slope, why is it assumed that what's at the bottom of the slippery slope is always bad? Why do we assume that? You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of slippery slopes that are a lot of fun, like ski hills. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, you know what I think of when I think of slope, I, I, there's this old Dairy Queen commercial as a kid. It was the land of mm-hmm. like ice cream and chocolate. And it had like this river of chocolate going through it. And these mountains of ice cream that, that mm-hmm. kind of s- sloped slipperily into the <laughs> chocolate river. That's kind of what yeah, I think that's of. That's another, that's another delightful slippery slope. You know, that's like where my mind a goes. lot of slippery slopes are quite nice. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I think that was a funny observation. Uh, speaking of slippery slopes, we we may have just slipped in, down the slope of this intro of this Slip- podcast. Who knows what we're maybe, doing maybe here and how long we'll be long. here? Who knows? Yeah. 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 Well, let's well, let's get into Becky Castle Miller. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about her. What do you know about her, Ben? Um, <laughs> I know she's uh, delightful, um, and she actually tweeted. Uh, about the recording of this podcast several times. And this is part of that ongoing learning that um, I'm really looking forward to, sort of the collaborative, generative learning. Um, But yeah, she wrote a a thesis. Um, She doesn't actually have a book, but she wrote a thesis that we're talking about, um, talking about feelings and discipleship. Is that right, Matt? Yeah, that's right. She's, yeah. And uh, Becky, she's done a lot of work in this area and she wants to reclaim the emotional life, the life of feelings as... Mm -hmm. Not unhelpful or inconsequential, but as vital, crucial yeah. ground in our spiritual formation and how we, if we want to become fully human, like Jesus, who mm-hmm. was a very emotional fellow, then we need to reappropriate, reintegrate our yes. emotions into all the faculties yes. of being human. Yep. Yeah, it was a super helpful uh, interview for me. She helped me uh, parse, parse out um, several things that I had you know, conflated uh, or assumed mm. were one thing, but they're actually something else. Mm. Um, and so her research was really helpful for me personally. Yeah. Yep. So. All right. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it. This is Becky Castle Miller on reclaiming emotions in the life of Christian discipleship. Here we go. Becky Castle Miller, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Thanks for having me. Becky is the program manager for Seminary Now, a new online seminary platform. Uh, she has spent the last eight years or so in the Netherlands and now has relocated to the U.S. Five kids, a husband, working on a book, which we're going to talk about today. And some of you may have read her workbook that she wrote with Dr. Scott McKnight called Following King Jesus. I think it's a compendium to the King Jesus Gospel. Uh, Becky, what else do we need to know about you before we jump into our chat? That's a great question, and one I wasn't prepared for. I feel like I put the pertinent details in the bio. 
Um, right on. If you want to know more interesting things about me, though, um, I collect icons. I love mm. historical and fantasy costuming. I love oh. home decorating and cooking. I throw amazing parties. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I love cats. Look. I did notice in your bio you, you said you had two cats. Two. I do. I did. One of them died this past summer. Oh, oh that's and so that's, sad. Yeah. That was Sorry really hard. Thank you. Yeah. Well, uh, if that, yep. if your answer to that question and by is by icons, any, you don't mean little computer things, right? By, by icons, icons you mean, yeah, I mean yeah. like, you know, yes. Russian, Eastern Orthodox, yes. Greek Orthodox, Christian icons. Christian yes. icons, yes. Yes, yes. Great. Well, Becky, we're chatting with you today about something that you're in the process of writing more about. You wrote your thesis on e- emotions and the emotions and the role in the life of a human and how it relates to scripture and how it relates to discipleship. I guess I want to start by asking, where did you, how did you come by this interest in the emotional life? I think I approached it the way many scholars approach their academic disciplines, out of personal need and personal interest. I grew up in Christian fundamentalism, and unfortunately, the messages I picked up about emotions were all around ignoring my emotions, repressing my emotions, forcing myself to feel happy and joyful, and just pretending like uncomfortable emotions didn't exist. Mm -hmm. So I never learned how to feel my emotions or express them in healthy ways other than just shoving them down. (laughs) So when I was in my 20s, after having two kids, I had undiagnosed postpartum depression. And a lot of unhealed homesickness and trauma wounds. I was a military kid, moved constantly. And I had a complete emotional breakdown. I was visiting my hometown for a family event and just, it all hit me. I fell apart. I hadn't cried in years. And then I just started sobbing. I went back to Rhode Island where I was living at the time. And I cried every day for nearly three months. All those tears, and all that emotion that I never processed just came pouring out on top of the depression. And it was terrible. I was suicidal. Mm-hmm. I was almost not non-functional. Um, I was really struggling to take care of my two kids and keep up with laundry and dishes and my part-time job. And It was really dark, and I'm so grateful that friends reached out to me and told me to go see a psychiatrist um, and get on antidepressants and go to counseling. And that was just, none of that was in my world. I didn't know that Christians did that. And so having Mm. Christian friends tell me to do it got me help and saved my life. And at that point, I got interested in emotions what is an actually healthy Christian approach to emotion? Because what I learned was not, that was not it. So I wanted a different way of doing it. Um, And when I moved to the Netherlands and started working at an international church, we were studying the gospels intensely and reading the life of Jesus. I saw that he was very emotional. Hmm. And that, that wasn't something about him I had seen before. And so I started studying the gospels to learn from his example what healthy emotional life could be for us. Um, And then I realized I didn't have the research skills to write that book. So I went to seminary. (laughs) So now that I'm done with seminary, um, now I'm writing that book. (laughs) Oh, wow. So, so essentially like you had to learn about emotions to, for survival. Um, And then you, you, you wanted to integrate what you were learning into your faith. And then you wanted to take what you learned and give it away in order order to do that, <laughs> you need some sort of credentialing and or training, right? To sort of form and training, shoot that. Training, yeah, yeah. 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 That's that's amazing. And I, at the beginning here, I know you do this um, in the book you're writing, but we use all kinds of words kind of synonymously for emotion in our vernacular. We use words like yes. our heart or mm-hmm. our affections or our desires or our feelings mm-hmm. and emotions. Could you just maybe give us a quick... like DTR on the relationship between all those words? Are they synonymous for you? Do they, or not? And why? A DTR on the relationship between those words. That's a great phrase. I'm going to have to steal that. (laughs) I'll I'll footnote it in the book when I use it and give you credit for it. Um, So in my master's thesis on emotions and discipleship and Jesus's emotions, I did actually a lot of cross-disciplinary work with neuroscience because 
neuroscience is leading the study of emotion right now. Like emotion used to be the domain of the philosophers, and then it was the domain of of uh, the psychologists, and now it's the domain of the neuroscientists. So the leading emotion research is being done in, in neuroscience, and one of the leading researchers is Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett. So her work has really informed my work. She's got a wonderful book called How Emotions Are Made. So her work really informed my definition of emotion that I use in my thesis and that I'm using in my book, which is that emotion is the meaning that your mind makes from your body's sensations, your current context, your past experiences and memories, and the emotion concepts that your brain has built up over time. So when you construct an instance of emotion, let's say you stub your toe and you're constructing an instance of frustration or annoyance or anger, that's because you've built this concept that when I run into something, something impedes my progress and it hurts me, that emotion is anger. That's what my culture says that emotion is called. That's what I've absorbed. And that's what I'm interpreting my body's sensation of shock and pain to mean. Or if your, if your cat dies and it's really hard and you are crying and you feel kind of overwhelmed, you're going to construct that. If you're American, you're probably going to construct that as sadness, as grief, as regret. Why didn't I take him to the vet sooner? There's, there's emotions that we construct based on our circumstance, our body sensations, and our cultural context. So that's what emotion is. What emotion is not is emotion is not the same as feeling. We use those words completely interchangeably, like you said, Matt. We use them synonymously, but they're not. Feelings are more discreetly our body's sensations. I can feel cold. I can feel my stomach churning, but feeling my stomach churning isn't an emotion until I construct that mentally. Is my stomach churning because I'm excited or is it churning because I'm nervous? And the way that we construct that actually affects our outcome. So our emotions help us move to our goals. Emotion mm. is not the same as desire. We can want something with intensity, but that longing is not an emotion. There may be an emotion attached to that. I feel happy when I do X job. So I desire very strongly to work in that field. Like the desire for that job isn't an emotion, but it might be tied to emotion. I hate my current job. I feel miserable. I feel uh, belittled. I feel frustrated. I feel uh, trapped in my current job. All those emotions that I might be feeling about my current job might move me toward a desire to take a new job, but the desire itself is not the emotion. Um, emotion is not, what were some of the other synonyms that you, you had a lot, you had a lot of good yeah, synonyms there like, that we like used. Like heart? Heart. Yes. So, that one right there leads us to misinterpret the Bible and misapply the Bible because when we see Bible verses like uh, Jeremiah 17 talking about the heart is deceitful, we, in the American church, we tend to interpret that as meaning our emotions are deceitful, but that's not what that passage means at all. Like heart in the Hebrew context is so much more. It's our entire being. And that's more about you know a predilection of human nature than to say that our emotions deceive us. In fact, the idea that our emotions deceive us is really, really damaging and untrue. So all those synonyms that we use for emotion, if we disambiguate them and we just use emotion to mean the meaning we make from our sensations, our context, and our history, we'll understand and be able to talk about emotions in a much more fluent manner. Yes. Those two examples you gave, like your cats and your job, I'm one, I think that you you recently lost a cat, so maybe that was drawing upon your uh you know, your personal experience, but you also recently started yes. this job and hating your job. Maybe you're not hating your current job. I just want to make sure that the current employer knows that Becky is not hating her job. <laughs> I love, <Caveat>. I love <laughs> my current job. Actually it was, it was desire. I, yes, mm. I do appreciate that. Go. Jason, if you're listening, I love my job. Mm-hmm. Um, I desired to be able to use my background in marketing and communications, my editing and writing skills, my teaching skills, my pastoral experience, my love of teaching the church, and my theology degree to serve the church. And so actually working for seminary now and producing video curriculum for churches has been an amazing job. So that desire led me to take action. And now I have a lot of really great 
emotions around my current job. <laughs> bada boom, bada bing. Uh, so, so something that's interesting here is Christy is actually working on a dissertation right now that intersects with some of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Becky, you want to mm-hmm. share, or Christy, you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah, Becky, I feel a little giddy on this podcast because my whole dissertation is basically does growing your emotional intelligence grow your intimacy with God? Amazing. Um, and I, I just think that there, you know, just like if if my husband and I grow in our emotional intelligence, it does help create greater intimacy between the two of us, right? I think that that is true of God. And there's just not a lot um, that I found written about that. And um, I'm in my final year of classes and we'll start next fall the actual research for this. And I'm just excited. I'm really excited because I just think that there is so much to unpack there that can really be helpful and beneficial and um, and good maybe for our communities. So anyway. That's um, phenomenal. Yeah. I love that you're studying that. Will you share your bibliography with me? Of Please. course. I yes. would love yes. to see what you're reading yes. on that. Yes. Yum. Yeah, I would love it. Yeah. Academic nerd nerd folks <laughs> I are, know. are getting together <laughs> to share bibliographies. <laughs> share your citations. That's it's really encouraging for me to hear. I am applying for PhD programs right now. I just took the GRE mm. on Wednesday and um, trying to to get into a program so I can do um, a PhD in New Testament. And um, it's really good to hear someone who is, you know, making it mm. on that journey. Mm. Yeah. Because it yeah. sounds daunting. You, I want to return Becky to something you alluded to, and then you kind of moved past it, and that is we we have uh, we have a cultural heritage. We've inherited sort of this pejorative, dismissive posture towards our emotions mm. that they're unimportant, that they are deceptive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wonder if you could talk about. How did we get such a jacked up relationship to our emotions? Like culturally and spiritually, like where does this come from? And and why is it unhelpful to think about emotions as either unimportant or singularly or uniquely deceptive? Mm. Mm-hmm. I have a whole chapter in my thesis tracing the history of this thought. So I will try to give you the boiled down version. Uh, I think we can probably go back further, but let's start for argument's sake today with the Great Awakening and the revivals in American history and the view that you had to have some kind of emotional experience to have assurance of salvation. And and people were worried if they didn't have this kind of charismatic experience, this emotional experience knowing inside some kind of real conviction that they were actually saved. People were desperately chasing an assurance of salvation and not understanding that just by following Jesus, that was enough. Um, And so I think that the anti-emotionalism that we see in the current American church stems from a pushback against that. So I think it actually started as a healthy thing to say, you don't have to trust your feelings You can have faith and believe that following Jesus is enough, that the Holy Spirit does indwell you and you are uh, sealed as a child of God, and you don't have to worry about your feelings about that. So if we fast forward then to the early 1930s with Bill Bright and his Four Spiritual Laws tract— which I believe has been printed two billion times since then. Mm. It's getting famous. There are four. <laughs> there are four spiritual laws, but really there are five spiritual laws, because the last page of that tract is an image of a train with faith as the engine and some cars, and then feelings as the caboose. And it says in the tract, "Don't follow your feelings." use faith, like your feelings. And I, 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 I don't want to, I'm not quoting it directly because it's been a few months since I've looked at the exact quote, but it essentially says, don't trust your feelings. So in the very gospel presentation that 2 billion people have been given, they were told, don't trust your feelings. And if you use the word feelings as synonymous with emotions, you're taught that part of the gospel is 
don't trust your emotions. Your emotions will deceive you. Your emotions are the antithesis of faith. This Hmm. is the gospel that people have received, is that their emotions are the opposite of faith. So in the 1930s, that idea became popularized and is still being distributed. The tract in its current form still says that, that is Hmm. still being printed today. So then I've traced the development of that idea through the work of Tim LaHaye in the 1960s and 70s in his book, The Spirit-Controlled Temperament, and then into James Dobson's book, Emotions, Can You Trust Them, in the 70s and 80s, um, up into books like Love and Respect by Emerson Emerson Egerich, which is like, a I think, an early 2000s, late 90s book. And... um, through them all, that strain of don't trust your emotions carries through. The worst is LaHaye's book. He outright calls emotions sinful. He says that you are worried or angry because you are selfish, and that is sinful. I threw that one across the room, literally. Yes. Very, very frustrated. As, as part of your research, back. right? As part as of part my of research. Yes, yes. yes. That's a necessary part of the research. Um, You're feeling your own sinning. emotions about not this sinning. book about emotions. I had so many emotions about that book. It's a funny story. Um, That's actually how the cat bad. died. The book hit the cat. And then. <laughs> it's, it's very oh, complicated. No. This all this. Terrible. <laughs> So you see, Dobson's book is an evolution. You can see that psychology had advanced in the 20 years since LaHaye, but you can tell that LaHaye had an influence and Bright definitely had an influence. Bill Bright was an actual mentor of James Dobson. And so you can see Bright's Mm. anti-emotionalism carrying through in Dobson's work. And Dobson's anti-emotionalism is in a lot of his material, but I only looked at that one book for my thesis. The title is Emotions, Can You Trust Them? And the, you know, the answer he expects you to come to is, no, you can't trust your emotions. Um, (laughs) It's a leading question, right? Right. Um, he, he, Spoiler alert, no. No. He does not <laughs> call emotions sinful. Yeah. So you can see there's been a progression in psychology, and he, mm. he was a trained psychologist. So it's not as blatantly anti-emotion, but it, it definitely leads you to not listen to yourself, not listen to your gut, not listen to your own needs, not listen to your own instincts, and to disregard your emotions. In fact, if you feel something... An emotion, you should probably do the opposite because your emotion might be deceiving you. And Dobson then starts to mix a lot of patriarchy in there and encourages, in one place, blatantly encourages a woman in an abusive relationship to stay in it because she can't trust her feelings or her emotions that are telling her she's in danger. Like her emotions are doing what they should do. Her emotions are making her angry. And her emotions are causing her to take action, which is to seek help. That is exactly what God designed her emotions to do. And he tells her to disregard them and to stay in that relationship. And he also has a similar exchange with a woman who has a father who's verbally abusive. Um, and so it it makes emotion kind of a woman's issue. And because it's a female thing, there's that denigration. Matt, you were asking about the denigration mm. of emotion. Mm. And I think that a lot of that wow. has to do with our perceiving in our culture emotions are a feminine thing. And so because it, because it's feminine, it must be bad. And so we we denigrate emotion. Um, and then that carries through into books like Love and Respect, which references LaHaye's and Dobson's work um, and carries that same, like, emotions are a woman's issue. Women are overly emotional. Um, love isn't an emotion, which is a whole other issue we could talk about. Love is definitely an emotion. Um, <laughs> and that you know, you should respect people even when they're harming you because you shouldn't be listening to your emotions that are reacting Mm. to what they're doing to you. Um, Mm. And then that carries through into today. And we still see a lot of anti-emotionalism in a lot of circles like the ones I grew up in. I feel like that was a really long-winded answer. Did Did that book get thrown as well? Yeah, you should throw that book How many of these books got thrown? I'm going to throw some proxy (laughs) books Only LaHaye's. Only only LaHaye's book was bad enough for me to throw A lot of self-control. I I even wrote in the margins in Dobson's book, like there, he actually made some good points and I I wanted to Mm -hmm. margin note those like, okay, this was a good point, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But what you just described is is a valorizing and a, a spiritual authority telling you that it's spiritually faithful to gaslight your conscience. To, yes, that's a powerful phrase. To get and so when so then when we as a church today have relationships with people in our church, spiritual leaders, and like narcissistic abusive leaders are Im- 
are sort of enabled by by us gaslighting our very the emotions that are telling us we're in danger that something's wrong that this isn't right like we have this long legacy mm-hmm. of not only mistrusting our emotions but fighting against the truth they want to tell us yes and it's we're hurting because yeah of it. The, yeah yes. we are we are hurting there's uh, there's so many things that I want to ask you about uh, Becky <clears throat> um so before we hit record, we were joking about how you were fairly technically savvy and maybe you could be on the podcast every week. So um, <laughs> if you were on the podcast every week from here until Christmas, say, I might get a chance to ask you all these questions. Nice. Um, no, but I, I was just, uh, I was just, I, I wanted to make a comment too, just on the, the, the patriarchy link, um, the link mm-hmm. between this denigration of emotions and um, the denigration of women. Um, I was just reading about like the beginnings of... Um, capitalism kind of coming out of the feudal system. And there was, there was a lot of this association of the, the, the sort of the belittling, um, and women's inferiority Mm. was started, what started to be emphasized, um, which was a, a specific way to get, you know, these folks to get the people off the land and into the factories Mm. and things like that. And they said there was an explicit association made in the inferiority of women with, uh, the devil, so women were associated with the devil. This is what started started all these witch hunts and things mm-hmm. like that. And so anyway, I was just hearing as you were, I was hearing echoes of that, that I just read of, in what you were saying that like women, women's emotions can't be trusted. There's almost this like fear of like being deceived if we listen to our emotions, if we listen to women, um, that I think all this stuff is all tied together in ways that I had no idea about yes. just a few years ago. The idea that your emotions will deceive you is is gendered. Uh, men are told that too, but it's definitely told to women. And mm-hmm. it's tied to the idea that women are more naturally easily deceived because people like to twist Paul and make him say that when he wasn't really. Um, mm-hmm. That That's why men should be leaders in the church because women are more easily deceived. Well, women are more emotional, they say. And so, and women mm-hmm. are more easily deceived and your emotions will deceive you. So this all goes together into don't trust women and don't trust emotions. It's mm-hmm. not that women are more emotional, it's that women are socialized to express emotion differently than men are. But women's yes. brains and men bra- men's brains construct emotion in exactly the same way. Dr. Barrett has done uh, a published paper, a peer-reviewed paper on that, uh, women's and men's brains. So um, the idea that men and m- are less emotional than women is it's just a factor of socialization. Yeah. yeah. So we're not from Mars and Venus. We're all from Earth. Yes. <laughs> and our brains are the same. <laughs> so before we move into like Jesus and and some of the things you learned from like reading the Gospels and, and because Jesus not only reveals God to us, but he also reveals what humanity is, right? He's the, he's the, mm, the new human. Yes. Um, we're trading off of a cultural uh, um, truism that we need to chop down. Well, I, I presume we need to chop down, but you can correct me, Becky. I'll submit to this correction if we need it. And that is that we mistrust emotions and we trust our thinking as though yes. thoughts and emotions, we can delineate and separate between them neatly and cleanly. But my understanding of neuroscience is that neuroscience says, hold on a moment. What's, what's wrong with thinking about the human being as having something called thoughts and something called emotions that can be separated. One is good. One is bad. Mm. I love this topic. Okay. So according to Dr. Barrett's theory of constructed emotion, emotion is cognitive. And if someone wants to read more of the biblical background on the same idea, you can look at a book called faithful feelings by Matthew Elliott. Um, He was one of my key sources for my thesis. He did his doctoral dissertation on emotions in the whole Bible. And this was, I think, 15, 20 years ago. And so neuroscience wasn't where it was. But even then, like he saw that emotion was cognitive. And so he shows that the Bible gives a cognitive view of emotion. Our thinking happens and it gives rise to our emotion. Like our thinking and our emotion are all part of the same process. And Dr. Barrett explores that more in her neuroscience book. Um, that our concept system, which is part of our thought process, is what leads to emotion. So you cannot have emotion without thought, and you 
you can't really have thought without emotion because they're so intertwined. So the enlightenment idea that we can have rationality and that that's superior to emotionality is a false dichotomy. There is Mm -hmm. no separation between what we think of as rationality, which is to make decisions in a logical, non-emotional, almost robotic fashion, like unaffected by human emotion. We can make these stoic, we can make these logical, rational decisions. And that's seen as superior because that's associated with maleness, Hmm. whereas making emotional decisions is associated with femaleness. But men and women make emotions and make decisions out of this, you know, our intertwined brain process. Like there's not a particular part of your brain that makes emotion. It's it's a whole brain process. And there's not one part of your brain that makes decisions. It is a whole brain process. And our emotions are vital to our decision making because uh, studies have been done that when people have the uh, emotion parts of their, like the bits of the brain that make up emotion, when some of those parts of the brain are damaged and they can't construct emotion anymore, hmm. they begin to make terrible decisions. <laughs> they can't they can't make good life decisions without right. their ability to emote. So, and also emotion leads us toward a goal, right? Like if if something terrible has happened and my body is very worked up, my brain will construct sadness and I will cry because that's like crying is a way that our body re-regulates itself. So I'm trying to make myself feel better So my emotion is moving me toward the goal of feeling better and the action I'm going to take is crying and maybe talking to a friend or praying or whatever. So our actions move us toward a goal. If I'm constructing fear because I see a giant spider, my emotion will move me to get away from the spider or smash it with my shoe. So our emotions move us toward goals and they're part of our decision-making. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy. All right. So what I heard that was interesting to me, Becky, is that when there's places of our brain that are recruited for emotion, and when those places are damaged— not only do we suffer in the emotive faculties uh, of being a human, but we cannot make as good of decisions. So it's not like there's this rational component to me and this emotional component to me, and if I could just wrangle this emotional component, then I could be calm, collected, cool, make great decisions, you know, be the dis- discursive badass. But rather, rather, what my rationality needs is my emotion, in order to make it coherent and and oriented towards right good good ends. And this is yes. This this changes everything, right? Yes, it really does. Yeah. Yeah, I, the other thing that I that I heard that I want to highlight is um is that emotion <laughs> feeling like one of the let me tell me if this is right, Becky. Let me see if I'm hearing you right cuz this is good. Uh, and I want to make sure I'm, I'm hearing you right. Um, feelings are not the same as emotions. Emotion is always a mind, a construct of our mind. It's yes. a story we tell ourselves about our feelings. Yes. Is one way to put it, sure. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, without that story that we tell ourselves about our feelings, we end up, you know, mistaking the fear that we, you know, might feel at a big spider uh, we might think it's excitement. You know, if we tell the wrong story, uh, then the spider eats us for lunch. I'm yes. thinking of, for some reason, I'm thinking of the huge spider <laughs> that in was, that uh, was Lord of the Rings. Way so, bigger uh, than the spider I was picturing. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. You said it's a, it's a huge spider. Immediately, that spider loved, from Lord of the Rings. Yes, I was like, oh, that would be a bad mm. situation. <laughs> that would be a really bad situation. Anyway. Mm. Well, that, that makes me think of Christie's research. Uh, 
because you're talking about the story we tell ourselves about our emotions, Ben. And it's true that we can change the story we tell ourselves. We can change the emotions that we construct over time. And I can, I can explain more about that in a second. Um, but it also has to do with our affections. And so part of, um, part of emotional maturity, Chrissy, what was the phrase that you used? Emotional intelligence? Part of our emotional intelligence is emotional granularity, which is a phrase Dr. Barrett uses, which is becoming more fine-tuned in our wording for our emotions. So we might just say that we feel bad. Like a kid, if you say, how do you feel? I feel bad. Okay, well, do you feel sad? Do you feel angry? Do you feel hurt? Do you feel disappointed? What kind of bad do you feel? The more emotional granularity we have, the more emotional intelligence we have and the more emotional control we have. And I mean that in the best Mm -hmm. sense of the word, um, not unhealthy repression, but actually like just mastery of our emotions. Um, So the more granularity we have, the more we change that story, um, the more capacity we have for healthy emotion, healthy connection, which I think is what gets to Christie's work on um, how that impacts our attachment to God. Mm. Yes. So emotional granularity, changing our emotion concepts leads to better human relationships and better relationship with God. You're absolutely right, Becky. Um, I just, I think that there is this great need to be able to articulate that and to help people grow in their knowledge of that because there can be a lot of damage when we start to pretend like our emotions don't exist, are told that they're sinful, are told that they're um, not important. You know, all of these things, there's so much um, that can fall out from that. And so, yeah, absolutely. If we can somehow help people grow in their emotional intelligence and um, be able to understand um that can be the beginning, the the door opening to greater intimacy with yes. with our great God who created emotion, emotion. who who loves emotion, yeah. who is well, maybe emotional. That's a good bridge then um, from like yeah. you know Becky, your own personal story where you're like, I got to figure out how to feel something because I got kids and I got you know I got to I got to live, I got to figure out how to do this. Mm-hmm. And so you go to therapy, you re- you you read neuroscience, try to get in touch here. But then what you do is you travel back into your faith. And you find that actually scripture has a lot to talk about, a lot to teach us when it comes to emotions. So I'd, lo- I'd love maybe if you could walk us through, not all of it, because th- there's so much there, but what, what were some surprises for you as someone who knew the Bible, mm. you know, you, you were probably mm-hmm. an Awana all-star, you had all this, all these accolades <laughs> as a little girl, you know, you, you'd been a pastor, you'd been <laughs> in ministry, but now you're going back into the scriptures to retrieve some of your tradition that you'd missed. What, what were some of the things you discovered or what surprised you there? Mm-hmm. There are a lot of emotions in the gospels. One of the best books I read for my research was called Jesus's Emotions in the Gospels by Stephen Forwind. And he documents 66 emotional expressions of Jesus in the Gospels, and then he wow. exegetes every single one of them. It's a phenomenal book. Lots of footnotes. Christy, get that one if you don't have it yet. <laughs> um, he Sounds good. So I used his, his research and Matthew Elliott's research and then looking at the Gospels and, and pulling from some other sources and— chose a few of Jesus's emotions to to focus in on. Mm. And some of the ones that I was most drawn to were Jesus's surprise um, at the faith of the centurion. I I had trouble thinking of Jesus as surprised because if he's Mm. omniscient as God, Mm. how could he be surprised by anything but work like... um, uh, Gerald Hawthorne, The Presence and the Power, he writes about Jesus doing all of his ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit because he set aside his 
power as God in order to be fully human. Like he didn't stop being God, but he he set aside that omniscience in order to really enter our experience. And so all the miracles he did, all the emotions he felt were all him as a human and by the power of the Holy Spirit, just like we have access to in our human bodies filled with the Holy Spirit. So in that sense, then I could understand Jesus as surprised because unless the Holy Spirit gave him supernatural insight, which the Spirit did at times in the Gospels, Jesus didn't know what was going to happen. And Mm. he did, I think, have cultural concepts of stereotypes, and he didn't expect this man to have such great faith. And so he was actually surprised. And I think that's a real human instance of surprise there. And that, that one was really interesting to look at because it changed so much of how I saw Jesus and could see him more as, as truly human if he yes. was surprised. Yes. Um, the, the, this maybe is one of the things, you're naming something that I think runs interference for us. Um, because we have, you know, if we're a classic theist, we have this doctrine of divine impassibility. Right, so there's right. no change in God. There's and and what that and you know passion is is used often in Greek to describe the emotional life. So that God is unemotional, therefore Jesus is unemotional. Um, and then, but then we have all these <clears throat> all these texts that you know has God experiencing emotion, right? And whether they're anthropomorphisms mm-hmm. or to what degree does a non-human being have emotions that correlate to human emotions. I think, though, what you're naming is we've read that onto Jesus, which actually denies mm-hmm. in some ways the important part of what it means to be human, which is to have the capacity mm-hmm. and the reliance upon emotion. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yes. And Mark Allen Shelsky, in his book, The Wisdom of Your Heart, writes a beautiful passage about... God's emotions and God's God-sized emotions and how God created us with the brain connections and the human-sized capacity to feel human-sized emotions that wouldn't overwhelm us. But he makes a compelling argument that God does have emotion. And Matthew Elliott makes the same case in Faithful Feelings, that God does have emotion. So I would generally disagree with impassibility in the sense that it leads to the conclusion that God does not have emotions. I believe God does have emotion and God created us in God's image with that capacity. Mm. Um, And certainly Jesus has emotions. I I bought a book Mm -hmm. on impassibility and emotion because I I do want to really understand it so I can make the compelling theological argument that I I don't have the skill to make yet. Like my gut says that's wrong and my research is pointing that way, but I can't like footnote it and cite it quite fluently right like i'm working yeah. on that argument yeah. all right yeah 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 i i resonate with that uh, that feels like a lot of my theological musings becky is there's an intuition i'm pretty sure this is the right direction but um yeah, Try yeah you guys are so much more yeah, careful yeah, yeah, than yeah. i <laughs> it's helpful you guys are careful i have a thought and i, I just tweet it out and then you know get uh, it's wrong um well as we approach the <laughs> <laughs> so, YOLO. Uh, as we approach sort of winding down, <laughs> I wonder if we mm-hmm. can talk um, a, a little bit about, you mentioned, kind of you named the goal, isn't to deny emotions and isn't to be, I think the other thing that people who are raised Christian are afraid of is that you'll just be in bondage to your emotions, right? Feeling won't Mm. be the caboose. It'll be the locomotive and it'll just drag you around. Right. And so we'll be, we'll be Mm -hmm. in this perpetual like eighties love song where we only, if it feels so good, how can it be wrong? Right. Which is sort of like, Mm -hmm. uh, not at all what we're told to do in scripture. So you mentioned mastering emotions, which the word came to mind was equanimity, like emotional balance, Mm. Emotional balance. And mm-hmm. I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about, from a Christian perspective, what what are some artifacts? How would we know if we're beginning to relate to our emotions in a sanctified way? Mm. Well, I, I feel bad that I only touched on one of Jesus's emotions, so I'm going to bring some more of those into here. Yeah, um, great. My, my definition of emotional health is... Constructing and expressing emotion in a way that's commensurate with the situation and appropriate for the situation. 
So you want to be experiencing and expressing emotion in a way that's equal to the stimulus. And that does not mean, emotional health does not mean flat affect. It does not mean you won't feel strong emotions. It does not mean you won't feel uncomfortable emotions. It means if something bad happens, if your loved one dies, you're going to be racked with grief. That is healthy emotion. If someone you care about dies and you are numb, that means you are emotionally unhealthy and you need to go see a therapist because there's something really bad going on if you're numb. If you are, I mean, numbness is a trauma response. So what trauma is happening that's causing you to not feel your emotions? Go see a trauma therapist and sort that out. (laughs) You should be feeling very angry. And so I want to touch on Jesus's sadness and Jesus's anger. When Lazarus dies, Jesus grieves and weeps. And he is not only moved by his best friends, Mary and Martha, and their grief, but his own grief at losing his friend and his anger at death and perhaps his fear of his own impending death because that's coming just days away at that point. Um, And his, his fury at the existence of death and that all comes out in his strong emotion. And then he does his action. He defeats death in that moment. And then he defeats death himself, death itself on the cross just a week or so later. So, Jesus's emotions are strong and powerful and overwhelming, but they are appropriate to what Mm. he's dealing with. Mm. Jesus in Gethsemane is overcome with fear and apprehension and dread and terror and sorrow, but also joy because it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. And it's a very complicated emotional scene, but Jesus has not, he doesn't have flat affect there. He's, he's emoting so much that he is weeping and and sweating blood. He is deeply emotionally distressed. And Jesus is emotionally healthy in that moment because the gravity of what he's facing is so strong. So when we confront injustice in the church and abuse in the church, we should be making whips and turning over tables like Jesus Mm. did with the zeal for God's house consuming us. Mm. So emotional health is is emotion that's appropriate to the situation. If you stub your toe and then you like smash a window, there's something going on with your reactivity that's not appropriate to the situation. Why are you filled with overwhelming rage over stubbing your toe? What's going on behind that? And, and is the action that you're taking appropriate in the situation? So emotional health is being like Jesus. It's showing the appropriate emotion for the situation. Um, and so then to wrap that up, the fear that people have of being overwhelmed by emotion, I think is best dealt with in therapy because hmm. if you don't have that ability to express and experience emotion in a in a way that's appropriate to what's happening, uh, there's probably something going on inside. And so it's more yeah. the issue of you not knowing how to handle your own reactivity that's the problem, not your emotions. Yeah. The emotions are the byproduct of probably some kind of unhealth that's going on inside that yeah. can be healed. Yeah. Um, and then we can express emotion in in a way that's uh, appropriate. And then there are times that people will express emotion that society says is not appropriate, but I would call entirely appropriate. When an mm. abuse victim mm-hmm. goes public with their story and is angry about it, that is appropriate. But a lot of the church world will tell you that's inappropriate emotion and they're overcome with emotion. I'd say, no, that's exactly what God designed emotion to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can't use a fear of emotion to silence people who have every right and reason to be emotional. But when we have emotion that feels like it is out of control and is overwhelming us and is causing problems in our life because we, we have out of control reactivity, that is something that can be healed with something like uh, internal family systems as a therapeutic methodology, which is what I'm currently being trained in Um, Mm. and using Mm. as a therapeutic client, it's been incredibly helpful for me, Mm. like addressing my wounded parts and Mm. learning how to be an integrated person and to react in, in healthy ways and express my emotions in healthy ways. So, um, does that answer the question a little bit? That's, that's super helpful for me, Becky, um, because one of the things that came up for me when you were initially talking about, you know, the, um, the recommendation, you know, from Dobson to stay in an abusive relationship, which is like this gaslighting of our own emotions. Right. Um, 
the, the question that came to mind for me is like, what about trauma mm-hmm. when we, we have an emotional reaction that is like, it doesn't actually match reality. Like yes. we have an emotional mm-hmm. reaction where it's like, oh, actually something that, that is more internal than external. It's not, it doesn't have to do with this situation. It has to do with the situation 25 years ago or, you know, that kind of a thing. And yes. so I think you've really helpfully outlined the need as well. I think, like you said, therapy is a great way to deal with some of the stuff. I think also just having a healthy community around you mm-hmm. to just check check those things with, you know, hmm. um, to find out what, what, what is this coming from? And either way, whether it is a healthy reaction that you need to pay attention to, or it's a reaction, um, that's maybe coming from a wounded place that needs healing in both cases, you need to listen mm-hmm. to your emotions. Yeah. Like yes. in both cases, you need to like examine what's going on and say, okay, wow, I feel really, really angry. But actually, as I take a step back here, that situation didn't necessarily warrant anger because that person actually wasn't insulting me. They were, you know, they said something that I misunderstood. Um, and so, you know, on the one hand, it's like, okay, we can repair that relationship. But then on the, on the other hand, what was it about that that made me, so, you know, fly off the handle? What was it about that that made me so angry? Is there something, is there a wounded part of myself that needs to be healed? Yes. Um, so anyway. Yes. super helpful for me. Yeah. Thank it, you. We may be reacting in an outsized way because we're triggered, because this right. reminds us right. of right. something that put us in danger in the past. And that that past memory was truly traumatizing, um, right. but it happens so fast. Like it's not necessarily in front of our, our consciousness yeah. that that's yeah. what's happening so fast. And that's why I'm so angry. Oh, this reminds me of the time that I felt trapped Mm. because of this terrible thing that happened. And I'm, I'm freaking out. My body doesn't know I'm safe right now because it, all it remembers is the terror I felt the last time this happened to me. And so that's, but that's not, that's not an emotional problem. That's a trauma problem. Yes. Yes. And when you originally felt it, it was entirely appropriate. Yes, exactly. Yes. It just, it, it, that barrier of time is porous in, right. in our it, experience in that, in that yeah. right. And it comes into a situation where it's not appropriate and sort of it, you know, it's like, what in the world is going on? Yeah. But it's, I think there's some self-compassion that we can yes. have and compassion for others. If we're dealing with somebody who, you know, gets triggered a lot or something yeah. like some compassion to say, well, at some point in their life, that was an entirely appropriate response to yes. something that happened yeah. to them. Yes. And let's, let's figure out what that is. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it strikes yeah. me this is part awesome, of Becky. this is part of the constellation of why it's hard to reckon with our emotions. Um, we deny them, we get in bondage to them, and then and then we have maybe trauma, which is I think we need metaphors to describe how that relates to our emotional life, whether it's constipated emotion mm-hmm. or it's it's trapped emotion. However, we think about that, but it makes it really difficult because we notice, like you know, our son uh, doesn't come the second time we call him, and we're we six seconds later are like screaming at the top of our lungs and we're like, what is going on? Right. So like, as you were saying earlier, mm-hmm. Becky, like um, I should be crying if something bad happens. Like my emotions are telling me the truth. Many of us have these experiences of this emotion is way disproportionate to the stimulus. And I don't know how mm-hmm. I got here. And so I feel like this work you're doing, the book you're working on, Tying this into our spiritual formation discipleship as Christians, this is such a timely needed thing for people who, for one reason or another, don't know what to make of our emotions. And so, Mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you for your work. Thanks for being on Mm -hmm. the podcast. Thanks for spending time with us and chatting about this. Um, How can people, tell other people like what you've written and where they can find you out in the uh, well, what what Zuckerberg is going to call the metaverse soon? I mean, he's going to turn this the whole internet metaverse. thing into, his, into yeah. one big advertising. That's, yikes! Thing. No, the internet. What what can you tell us about where to find you? Yeah. Uh, so, like you said at the beginning, I wrote a discipleship twenty four week study with Scott McKnight, my seminary professor and friend, called "Following King Jesus." And I also wrote study guides for his second edition of the Blue Parakeet, which you can get on mm. the Zondervan website, and his uh, Reading Romans Backwards book. And you can order that, my study guide on Amazon, or get it from the Baylor University Press website. I'm working on turning my thesis into a book tentatively titled Emotional Jesus. And um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at B. Castle Miller. Great. 
Becky, I have And I do a lot of I do a lot of like Instagram stories on like Instagram stories and reels and stuff on emotion teaching. So that's probably the best place to find that. Great. I've heard really good things about your study guide for reading Romans backwards. Thank you. The peoples are talking about it. It's it's there's a hubbub. It was a fun project. Yeah. Well, my favorite part of it is the appendix. Oh, sorry. Ooh. I keep cutting you off. My favorite part is the appendix. Yeah. I wrote a story about Phoebe and they let me put it in the book. So there's there's fiction in the study guide, which is fun. Awesome. All right. That's great. Awesome. Well, thanks for being with us today, Becky. Um, bless you on your writing and as you apply to programs and your ministry with Seminary Now. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.